Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Colossians chapter 1 as we continue our study of the incomparable Christ. Colossians chapter 1, we will begin reading in verse 15. And in respect for the Word of God, I will ask you to stand as I read. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by whom all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. What was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing, and most of all, the obeying of His Word. The question that I want you to answer today is this. Is Jesus prominent in your life, or is He preeminent in your life? We're looking at what Paul says today as he speaks of Jesus as the beginning. In verse 18, we saw a week or so ago, what Paul meant by saying that Jesus was head of the body, the church, then he goes on to say he is the beginning. Now, what do you think Paul means when he speaks of Jesus as the beginning? Now, Jesus uses this term to refer to himself also over in the book of Revelation chapter 21. Jesus said, I am the, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So if somebody came up to you tomorrow on the street and said, what did Jesus mean when he said he was the beginning? What did Paul mean when he wrote that Jesus is the beginning? Well, you would think, well, that meant that, that, he was first, that He was the first thing. Well, we know Jesus was not created, so it can't mean He was the first thing created. Well, what does it mean? Obviously, the key is to understand what the word beginning means in the original Greek. Now, this word, as many words in languages, tends to develop over time. And as we look at the history of this word, I think it will become clear to us what Paul means when he says Jesus is the beginning. The Greek word is the word arche. Now, the root of this word 
meant worth. And then the verb form meant to be first. Now that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Something that's worth more tends to be first. And then the noun form of the word came to mean a ruler. That makes sense, doesn't it, as well? That which is worth more takes on first place. And that which is first place, a person who's first place ends up being the ruler. And so it went from worth to first place to ruler. And then the word developed into the idea of beginning in the sense of being the originator, the origin, the source. And so when Paul says that Jesus is the beginning, what he's really saying is that Jesus is the source of all things. He is the originator of all things. He is the origin of all things. Now the rest of Scripture helps explain to us what this means. Now we've talked before about that principle of interpretation that says let Scripture Interpret Scripture. Let Scripture explain itself. Because the Bible is not 66 isolated books that are not connected, but rather it is one whole unity because the Holy Spirit inspired all the different writers to write. Therefore, it is a unity. It is a joint work of individuals empowered by the same Spirit Therefore, we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And that's what we see in this case with the word beginning. The first thing we notice is that Jesus, the incomparable Christ, is the source of physical life. Over in Acts chapter 3, Peter's preaching a sermon. This was when Peter and John, after Jesus had been resurrected, they were going to the temple area, and there was this man who was lame and who was begging, and you remember he said to them, you know, help me out, give me something, and you remember what Peter said, he said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, and the man was miraculously healed, well that got the crowd's attention, and so Peter was not one to miss an opportunity to preach, and so he began to preach there to the Jewish people who had seen this miracle. And as he is preaching, he is making a contrast between how the Jewish people treated Jesus and how they treated Barabbas. You remember when Jesus was being tried there before Pilate, and Pilate didn't find anything in Jesus worthy of being crucified, and so he figured out a way he could get Jesus released because the custom was to release one of the prisoners of the Jews during that time of the year, the Passover. And so Pilate brought out Jesus and, and he said, should I release him? And you remember what the people said? They said, no, release Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, who was a murderer. And, they, and he said, well, what shall I do with Jesus? And they, he, they said, crucify him. And so Peter is drawing this contrast. He is given a clear antithesis of what the Jewish people had done in these verses. 
in verse 14, he says, But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. You disown Jesus who was righteous, who was holy, and instead you wanted a murderer, showing how evil their hearts were. And then he goes on to make another comparison, but you put to death the prince of life, to whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. You see the word prince? The root word is that word arche, beginning. What Peter is saying is that Jesus is the source of life. He said, you guys... And look at the irony. You guys put to death the source of life. And here I believe he's talking about physical life because he's talking about physical death. He says, you, in your wickedness, in the evilness of your hearts, you not only took one who was holy and righteous and disowned him and instead owned up to a murderer, but you actually put to death the one who is the source, the prince of life. Now, since Jesus is the source of physical life, He is, first of all, the answer to the mystery of life. As advanced as science and medicine are, they still don't understand life. Scientists can take a seed, let's say a pumpkin seed, and they can break down that pumpkin seed to all of its chemical components. They know exactly what goes to make it up. And they can go into a laboratory and they can put all the same components together and make a pumpkin seed with all the same ingredients as far as the chemicals and compounds and all. But they can't make it grow. It won't grow. Because there's a, a mystery there. There's a source for that life that they cannot duplicate and replicate. And that source is Jesus Christ. He is the mystery of life. Paul says He is the originator, the source of physical life. And because all life comes from Him... All human life is precious. All human life is sanctified because Jesus is the source. He is the originator of human life. Therefore, we believe no matter what condition that human life may be, whether they be deformed or whether they have some kind of other problem, that they're precious anyway because Jesus is the source. Now, because Jesus is the source of life, He is also the one who controls conception. The Scripture says that God opens and closes the womb. The Scripture way of speaking, of saying that Jesus is the one who determines whether there is conception or not. He gives life. That's why He could say to Lazarus, Come forth, and Lazarus came back to life. Because Jesus is the source of life. He is the giver of life. 
and you want to have a child, you need to pray and ask Jesus. He is the source. He is the one that allows, that enables conception to take place. Not only that, but since He is the source of life, He is the one who keeps us alive as well. When David was having to run from King Saul for his life, Saul wanted to kill him. Saul had sent his armies out to find David. David wrote a psalm in which he said to God, My times are in your hands. What was he saying? He was saying, God, I know my life is in your hands. And when I live or when I die is in your hands. The Scripture says that our days were written in a book before there was even one of them. The number of our days. God knows how long we will live. Jesus is the one who keeps us alive. You need to thank Jesus that you're breathing right now. He's the one that keeps you living. He's the one that keeps you breathing. He's the one that keeps that life principle at work in you. Because He is the source of life. Just spend some time today or tomorrow just thinking about that, would you? Just thinking, you know, I'm alive because of Jesus. He is the one who is keeping me alive this very moment. We tend to think it's our human body doing it. We tend to think it, it's something in, in us that's doing it. Well, what it is in you, it's the force of Jesus. He is the source. Now, because Jesus is the source of all physical life, every person owes Him our love and our obedience. Jesus has every right to stand before mankind and say, I have given you life. I am the source of your life. Therefore, I have a right to require your obedience to me. I have a right to say I am Lord. And you must fall before me as the Lord God of life. Because He gave you life. He is the source of your life. Secondly, not only is Jesus the source of physical life, but He is also the source of spiritual life. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the author, the founder of salvation. He says, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. The author of their salvation through suffering. Now, I hold in my hand a book written by Larry Burkett, the late Larry Burkett. It's called The Thor Conspiracy. Now, I've read this, and it's a pretty good book. I'd recommend it. I got it right out of our library, so it's available for you to read today. But now, who is the source of this book? Larry Burkett. Who is the originator of this book? Larry Burkett. He came up with the ideas. He sat down and he wrote out this book. So we call him the author of this book. See, we don't have any problem understanding author means originator, do we? Author means source, do we? We can see that. Well, this word 
that the writer of Hebrews uses author is exactly the same word that's translated prince over in Acts, which root word is RK beginning. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the source, the originator, the origin of spiritual life. Now, what credit can I take for this book? Did this book depend on me? No. Because its author is Larry Burkett. But no, just as this book didn't depend on me, guess what? Salvation does not depend on me. It depends on the author of salvation, the originator of salvation, who is Jesus Christ. It was through His perfect life. It was through His death on the cross, His sin-bearing death. It was through His resurrection from the dead. It was through His ascension into heaven at the right hand of God the Father that Jesus had the creative power to bring forth eternal life. All of these things enabled Him to be the source, the originator of eternal life. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is eternal life. He is the source of eternal life. He is the founder of eternal life. Now, since Jesus is the source of eternal life, that tells me, first of all, that salvation depends on Him and not me. Just like this book depended on Larry Burkett, not me. Salvation, eternal life, depends on Jesus and not us. Now, that's interesting because people will sometimes say, well, you know, I... I just don't deserve to be saved. Well, who does? Well, I just can't be good enough. Who can? Well, you know, I just can't be like Jesus. Who can in their own strength? Since salvation depends on Jesus and not us, salvation is His to give. Right? It's His to give. Because it depends on Him. And the Scripture says that Jesus gives salvation to His chosen ones. Look over in John 17, 2, in that prayer that Jesus gave before His crucifixion. He says, even as you gave Him authority over all flesh, He's speaking to God the Father, giving Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. Jesus gives salvation to His chosen ones. He said, all that you've given Him, Father, all that you have given Him, He gives eternal life. All that the Father gave Jesus, Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Eternal life. Now, since Jesus is the source, the originator of salvation, 
Not only does it depend on Him and not us. Not only does He give salvation to His chosen ones. But listen to this. No one is beyond salvation who desires salvation. Isn't that great? No one is beyond salvation who desires it. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Me, Jesus says, all. That includes everyone who is weary who is weary of trying to earn God's favor, who is weary of trying to live this life in a way that makes sense, who is heavy laden with the guilt of their sins. Come to me, Jesus says, all. He opens it up. To anyone who wants to come, and He said, come and I will give you rest. Over in John, Chapter 6, Jesus says, All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now listen to that. Now don't worry about the first part of the verse. Just look at the second part. No one who comes to me Will he cast out? You see, sometimes people want to get hung up. Well, it says all the Father gives him will come to him. Well, how do I know if the Father has given me to Jesus? You know, we saw earlier what Jesus said, All that you gave me, Father, I give eternal life to them. Well, what, how do I know if I've been given to the Lord Jesus? You know because you come to Jesus. Because you want to be saved. Because you desire to be saved. Isn't that what Jesus says? All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I'll certainly not cast out. In other words, if the Father's given you to me, you'll come to me. And if you come, buddy, I'm not going to cast you out. Because I know that's a sign that you're one of those the Father gave me. So all you got to be concerned about is do you want to come to Jesus? Do you want to come to Him? Because He says if you will come to Him, He won't cast you out. So salvation is available to anyone who wants it. Because it depends on Jesus, not us. Fourth thing. Because Jesus is the source of spiritual life, He is the one who keeps us saved. He's the one that keeps us saved. Look again in John 6, 39. This is the will of Him who sent me. Jesus says, this is the will of God the Father. That of all those He has given me, there it comes again, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Isn't that a great comfort? If the Father has given you to the Lord Jesus... Jesus says, it's for certain you're going to come to Him. And He says, if you come to Me, it's for certain I'm not going to cast you out. 
And he says, if you've come to me, you can be sure I'm going to keep you saved and raise you up on the last day. That's the will of the Father. That all that he's given to me, he says, I don't lose any of them. None fall through the cracks. You can't not fall through the cracks with Jesus. He is going to raise you up on the last day. He is going to keep you saved. Because He is the source and sustainer of eternal life. Thirdly, not only is Jesus the source of physical life and spiritual life, but He is also the source of faith. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look at what it says. Fixing your eyes... On Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Here again, the word author, same word we saw in the passage before, same word for prince, the root coming from the word RK, beginning. He calls Jesus the author of faith. He is the source, the originator of faith. Have you ever wondered where faith came from? You ever wondered where a person gets the faith to be saved? I mean, think about it now. The Bible says that apart from Christ, you're dead spiritually. I mean, dead. Now, dead folks can't do anything. They are helpless. They have no ability at all. And that's what the Bible says. The condition of a person apart from Christ is, first of all, they're dead. Secondly, it says that to a person who is without Christ, that the things of the Spirit are foolishness. And he cannot understand them. He says that apart from Christ, things of the Spirit don't make any sense to you. And not only that, but you think they're foolish. Alright, you take a person who's dead, spiritually, and add to that, he can't understand anything of the spiritual realm. Take to that, it's foolishness to him. Take to that, his heart is in rebellion against God. Now, how does that person in that condition all of a sudden get the faith to believe Christ? What happens to change that situation? Is it something they can do? No. Jesus gives the faith. You see, all those that the Father has given Him, guess what? He gives them the faith. And through that faith, they come into His kingdom. You might say, well, well, what part do I have? Well, your part is to desire the faith. Ask God to give you the faith. Say, Jesus, I know faith comes from you. You know, if you wait till you have enough faith to be saved, folks, you'll never get there. We don't have it in our own selves. We saw that. But what you do is you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me the faith. Now, I'm going to go a step further. You may not even have the desire to have the faith to be saved. Will you ask Jesus for the desire? Will you say to Him, Lord Jesus, please give me the desire to have the faith to be saved. And I believe He will give it. You ask Him for the faith to be saved, and I can guarantee you He will give you the faith that you need to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He died on the cross for your sins, and that He will give you eternal life. 
Because he is the author and the perfecter of faith. You see, Jesus brings our faith to its fulfillment, to its conclusion. Because Jesus had perfect faith, that faith is available to us as believers. In Galatians 2.20, the Scripture says, Paul writing, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, Paul said, look, Christ is living in me. And this life that I'm living in this body, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And most translations will put in, I live by the faith in the Son of God. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says of. Paul says, Christ is living in me, and he says, I live this life by his faith. It's not your faith now, it's Jesus' faith in you. Do you see the difference? If it's your faith, you may not have enough. But when you realize, hey, I live this life by the faith of Jesus. You get a situation. You say, Lord, i got to have more faith. No, you say, Lord Jesus, your faith is in me. I trust that faith to carry me through this situation. I trust your faith to enable me to believe you, to obey you, to trust you, whatever the situation is. You look to Jesus as your faith. Not only as your Savior, but as a source, the originator of your faith. It's not something you got to muster up. He is in you. He is faith perfected. He is faith personified. Just receive and look to Him To be your faith. Not only is he the originator, the source of physical life, spiritual life, of faith, but he's also the originator, the source of the church. One day Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some of them say you're Jeremiah, some of them say you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, well, who do you guys think I am? And Peter, being the spokesman, said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember what Jesus said to Peter when he said that? He says, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't come up with this on your own, but God, my Father, revealed this to you. And then he went on to say, and upon this rock, meaning this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus wasn't saying He's going to build His church on Peter. He's saying upon this confession, Peter, upon the confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Jesus is the source of the church. 
He is the originator of the church. And he will see to it that the church continues and he will present the church spotless and without wrinkle on that day of his wedding to the church. Paul goes on to say, not only is Jesus the beginning, but he's the firstborn from the dead. Now again, a better translation is the firstborn out of the dead. And what Paul is referring to is a resurrection of Christ. Jesus was the first one to defeat death. You say, well, what about Lazarus? He came alive from the dead. What about Jairus' daughter? She came alive from the dead, but she didn't defeat death. And Lazarus did not defeat death because they had to die again. You see, but Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. He was the firstborn. Scripture calls him the first fruits of our resurrection. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, therefore we know that we too shall join Him in His resurrection. Now, because Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again, we know, first of all, that He is God. His resurrection proved that He is God. Look in Romans 1, 4. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. This sets Jesus apart from all other people in history. Nobody else has ever risen from the dead never to die again. Nobody else claimed they would. Muhammad never said he was going to come alive from the dead never to die again. Confucius never said that about himself. Buddha never said that about himself. Jesus is the only one that said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised again. And because he defeated death, this is proof positive that he was more than a man. He was God-man. Also, it tells us he was sinless. Remember, the wages of sin is death. If Jesus had had any sin in his life, he could not have defeated death. But because he was sinless, and because God accepted his sacrifice on behalf of the sins of his people, he was able to defeat death. Because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Thirdly, we know that His claims are true. He claimed that He would be resurrected, and He was. Now, you're going to doubt any other claim He made? (laughs) You're going to doubt that He was God? You're going to doubt that He is the answer for man's sins? You're going to doubt that He died for man's sins? When He claimed He would be resurrected on the third day, and He was... You know, there have been other people, religious leaders, that have made similar claims. But how many of them have ever been resurrected from the dead, never to die again? In fact, none of them have even been resurrected to die again. And then fourthly, we know that we shall be raised from the dead. Because He was raised, Christians will be raised. He's at first fruits. And then fifthly, because He was the firstborn from the dead, we know that that resurrection power, the power that brought Him alive from the dead, is the power that works in us to defeat sin as well. We have resurrection power available to us to defeat sin and to defeat Satan. Then Paul sums it up when he says, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. I believe Paul is all this he's been seeing. 
about Christ being the head of the church, about Christ being the beginning, about Christ being the image of the invisible God. All of those things we've been seeing since verse 15, I believe Paul says, and all of that is moving toward the reality, the truth, that Jesus has come to have first place in everything. This term was used in the Greek of that person who won the Olympic events who won the game, he took first place. He was the best. He held first place. There can only be one first place. can't be two. Jesus alone has first place. Paul is saying, by virtue of his perfect life, of his death on the cross, of his resurrection from the dead, of his ascension into heaven, that Jesus is positionally and doctrinally in first place in this universe. He has first place. Now the question today is, do you recognize? Him as first place in your life. Is He prominent in your life? Or is He preeminent in your life? I'm afraid too many Christians He's only prominent. But Paul says, all of this was accomplished by Christ that He might have preeminence. First place. In your life. I read several years ago about this church. That this Christian architect. Designed this church in a rather unique way. And he designed the the worship center of the church. And they had a big cross. Behind the, the podium. And he designed the church in such a way that no matter which window you looked into the worship center through, what you saw focused on was the church, was the cross. The cross was right in the middle of what you saw. Unique. And so at night, they would light the cross inside the worship center, and as people would drive by, no matter which window they looked through, what they saw was the lighted cross. Now, when people look through the windows of your life, do they see the cross? Do they see Jesus? That's what it means for Him to be preeminent. That means that no matter what window of your life a person looks through, what they will see in the center is Jesus. Now, if he's prominent, they might look around and say, yeah, that's Jesus over there in their finances. Yeah, we can find him if I look hard enough. But when he's preeminent, they look through the window of finances and the first thing they see is Jesus. Now, let's think for a moment. Let's do a little soul searching, can we? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Now, let's pretend your life is like that church. You have many different windows in your life. Now, somebody looks through the job window of your life. Do they see Jesus? 
Is he preeminent in your job? That you work heartily as unto him? When they look in the window of your family life, do they see Jesus as preeminent? As first place? As they look through the window of your finances, what do they see? Do they see Jesus as first place? Everything in your finances revolving around Christ. They look in the window of relationships. Your relationships. What do they see? Do they see Jesus as preeminent? They look into the window of your marriage. Do they see Jesus as preeminent? They look through the window of your thought life. Do they see Jesus? What about the window of your attitudes? What about the window of your words? Is he prominent or is he preeminent? Lord Jesus, we know that you both died and rose again, that you might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Lord, may we confess where you're not first place in our lives. And may we, by your grace, seek to recognize your preeminence in that area of our lives and Live under your preeminence. Bring us into that level of spiritual maturity where you are all in all. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to give you an opportunity today. Be obedient to the Holy Spirit as He's dealt with you. If you need to come and pray and you want to just pray by yourself, if you'll come over to my left, no one will bother you. If you need someone to pray with you, just to help you bear that burden, if you'll come over to my right, then someone will join you. If you've never come to that place of surrendering everything to Jesus and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior, would you come today? Will you ask Him for the faith to believe? He'll grant it. Step out in obedience to Christ as we sing.